Hello and welcome to another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I am your host, Mitch Michaels. It's Friday. Hope you're feeling good. I got a great show planned for you today. I'm going to talk to my buddy, Chris Scruggs, St. Louis University alum, lawyer professional, sports show host with me for four years at St. Louis University. It's been a while, but we talk hoops a lot. And we're going to talk basketball, Kevin Durant's injury, Dirk getting 30,000 points, the playoff picture, as well as what the incoming class of freshmen look like in this year's NBA draft. There's a lot to digest there. That's up first. And then following that, George Pinozian, my tennis channel extraordinaire, George Pinozian, is going to come on the show to discuss Indian Wells 2017. We're going to preview that and we're going to break down both the men's and women's draw. No Serena Williams on the women's side, but all the men are playing. And there's a loaded quarterfinal that includes Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal all in the same quarter. We got a lot to talk about. Let's get to it. Money Mitch Effect. Happy Friday. Let's roll. All right, now it's time to talk NBA action. And with that, joining me on the line, my good friend, second time on the show, Chris Scruggs, all the way from St. Louis. Chris, thanks for joining the show again. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. It's been a while since we, we've talked. This is your second appearance, and uh, there's a lot to discuss in the world of the NBA. Chris and I, for those of you who aren't familiar, hosted a sports radio show at St. Louis University for four years where we talked about a lot of topics. NBA was one of the chief ones there. But one of the topics I want to discuss first before we get into the overall standings and the playoff picture taking form, Chris, is Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk last night scoring his 30,000th career point. Only six players have ever done that in NBA history. And I bring up Dirk for a lot of reasons. The accolade itself is amazing, but Chris, this is a guy that you know, well before we had our show way back when, almost almost a decade ago now, Dirk was getting after it in the NBA. He's been doing this for a long time. It's pretty inspiring to see, I, I would definitely say, a guy like Dirk still going strong in his late 30s and still just being that consistent force that he's been. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Dirk has always been a great player in my opinion. And honestly, I don't think Dirk gets his just due. Uh, when we talk about players from his era, such as KG, Tim Duncan, uh, Allen Iverson, Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, Kobe Bryant, I think Dirk names sometimes get lost in the mix. But Dirk has always been a prolific scorer, a prolific leader, and a great clutch player. And I think throughout his career, he has always led the Dallas Mavericks to at least being competitive. Some years they did miss the playoffs, but all in all, they were for the most part a playoff team and a and a competitive playoff team at that. Yeah, and I would say too, Chris, I mean, you're right on about how he wasn't always getting his just due. Maybe being a product of so many great players in that era, he didn't get his credit. But I would say too, Chris, revolutionary. I mean, it's cliche to say, but his game, the way he plays, I mean, I don't remember many big guys close to, if not seven feet tall exactly, that can shoot the one-legged fadeaway and can play out from the basket. I mean, for that perspective, and how tough he was. People don't talk about that enough. This is a, a nasty competitor. I think he changed the game, definitely. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, when you talk about toughness, I think the playoff run he had when he won his championship, in my honest opinion, that's one of the toughest playoff runs I think I've ever seen yeah. in the NBA. He just beat so many great teams that year, the Thunder, the Heat, the Lakers early on. And I forgot who they played second round, but I think every round they had a great matchup. 
And uh, like you alluded to earlier, Dirk has always been a tough player. He uh, had one series in his career where his toughness was questioned, but other than that series against Golden State back mm-hmm. in the day, Dirk has always been a tough player. And as far as revolutionary, uh, I think a lot of players in the league would tell you he might not get his just due from the fans and the public, but the respect that the players have for Dirk, I definitely think he, he gets his just due. A lot of players always acknowledge the fact that they took elements of Dirk's game and implemented it in their game. Right, and you see that respect with some of the legends that were out to comment on him. All the all the players that currently and past that have said how they were pulling for Dirk to get to this milestone. And I really do think, you know, there's uh, that that notion that players from European countries can't have toughness. Well, Dirk kind of debunked that the way he played the game. And you're right on that playoff run. It was something special to see. I wonder, though, with his ranking, I mean, this is definitely, I would say, I mean, I don't we, we don't go on points all the time for rankings, Chris, but he's got to be a top 20, top 15 player ever. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. Dirk is a top 20, top 15 player ever. I think I would have to look at the list in front of me. But if I think of players from his era, the only players I would honestly say are better, uh, Kobe, Shaq, Tim Duncan, those are the only three I could really think of yeah. right now in my honest opinion. I like guys like KG, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, but I honestly think Dirk was a better player than those guys. Yeah, so a, I think that definitely when you really look at the list, look at the numbers, and look at the accolades, I think Dirk should place higher than a lot of people probably think off the top of their head. Yeah, well, in any event, I know we get kind of caught up in how where to rank guys. We know Dirk's a great player, a Hall of Fame talent, first ballot, no question. And it's good to see the loyalty he had sticking it out in Dallas. And uh, I think we both speak for a lot of people when we say we're very happy for him. Um, but I, I just wanted to mention that. Off the top last night, it was a tremendous scene, him breaking, or him getting to 30,000 points on his home floor. Let's switch it up, Chris, and talk about some of the teams at the top of the pecking order right now in the NBA. And you have to start with the Golden State Warriors. We haven't really discussed it on this show, but the Durant injury, that, that nagging question of what could be the thing that holds the Warriors back from winning a title this year, it was an injury, and Durant, the one guy you... You definitely don't think they can afford to lose come crunch time. Well, they're going to be without him for most likely the rest of the regular season, Chris. And when he comes back, we assume he's going to come back in the playoffs. We're not sure what version of Durant we're going to get right on the onset. Do you think this is all doom and gloom, or can there be a silver lining in the fact that the Warriors are going to be battle-tested here without Durant, and maybe he can come back at full strength when the games matter? Uh, I think it's half and half. I think there is a silver lining somewhere in there because I didn't think necessarily that Steph was playing to his caliber that he was used to playing in a regular season. But at the same time, I never thought Steph Curry was the same player in the regular season that he was in the playoffs. So I think that's a watch. But overall for the team, I think they need to come together and gel and other players step up. And I think it gives an opportunity for their young players to step up and fill roles on the bench and hopefully come playoff time when they get the rent back, they're in a good enough position where they could really make a strong run. I think sliding no Lord in the third seed isn't bad, but at that fourth seed, you play San Antonio first. I don't know if that's something you necessarily want to do. Well, not first, but mm-hmm. play them in the second round, then play the Clippers or Houston or Memphis. I don't think that's something that the Warriors want to do first round. Yeah, you know, I look at it the same way. This is still a premier, if not the premier team in the league. 
I don't think they're going to slide too much if they happen to slide at all. And one of the things, too, that I think is going to carry him in this stretch, I agree with you, Curry needs to kind of get back to, to how he was playing in the regular season and figure out his role when everybody's healthy. But defensively, Chris, this is a pretty good team. They're second in defensive efficiency behind the Spurs. Now, they give up over 100 points a game, but that just shows you how fast that they play, the pace that they play at, that they're second defensively. I think if they can rely on their defense, if they can figure that side of the game out, that could prove to be advantageous down the stretch. But defensively is one thing. You mentioned their bench and their role players. Are you buying this bench? Because this is a revamped team. I mean, no one talked about the fact that when they brought in Durant and they've got all these star players, they had to cut a lot of their bench out to make room for that, to afford them all. Do you think these young players can provide uh, some stability when it matters? Well, I, I definitely think they can. I, I like Pat McCall a lot, and not only do I like him because he played at high school ball in St. Louis for two years, but I think he's a solid player. He really understands the game well, play within the system. He doesn't try to do too much on the court, and he uh, is real solid defensively. As far as their other additions, I actually like the addition of JaVale McGee. I've always liked JaVale McGee, but he has always been in bad situations. And I think coming to the Golden State Warriors, a professional team with a professional system, I think he fits in well, and I think they know how to use him. So I actually still like their bench because they still have Iguodala. They still have Sean Livingston. So they Mm -hmm. still have a pretty solid bench, especially with David West. But I think just the uh, rookies need to get more time, more playing time, so they can be ready for the playoffs, especially Pat McCall, because I think he'll play a huge role at some point. Right, I think McAdoo is another name to look out for, and I, I think you're dead on with West. He didn't work out for the Spurs because he doesn't really fit their style, but I think he's that pick and pop. He loves to, to knock down those jumpers from the elbow, and there's plenty of those in Golden State. I think as long as Durant's going to be back playoff time, this team will be right where they want to be. Uh, Durant might take a couple games to shake off some rust, but we know what type of player he is. We don't think that'll be too long at all as I continue chatting with Chris Scruggs on the Money Mitch Effect talking NBA action. Chris, if there's one team that can make a move in this uh, scene with Kevin Durant injured, it's the San Antonio Spurs. They've been on a tear recently. They're not too far off that top seed in the conference. I know we're not really surprised by anything the Spurs do. They're only two and a half games back now of Golden State, but this version of San Antonio is there anything that you didn't see coming that's now in fruition? The only thing I didn't see coming, honestly, I knew the Spurs would be a competitive team. I figured even with the worst players in the NBA, I think Greg Popovich could get a top four seed just the way he coaches. Yeah. But what I didn't see coming was the efficiency of Kawhi Leonard. I think Kawhi Leonard has emerged as a top three player in the NBA by far. I think he's in the same category as LeBron, Kevin Durant, and then you have Kawhi Leonard and everybody else, in my opinion. What he could do offensively, and we all know what he could do defensively, I think he's just a total package, and he's a clutch player at that. I mean, it's amazing, Chris, the, the development. And I would say this, I'll pose this to you. Have we seen a player, even LeBron included, I guess you throw Durant in there, that the progress they've made from year to year, I mean, I, I would even say it's greater than the progress LeBron and Durant made because they were greater when they came into the league. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. His progress, his room to grow, he had a higher, he had more room to grow than LeBron and KD. So I mm-hmm. definitely agree. But 
from him being just a, uh, you know, he wasn't a lottery pick. He was just a pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was traded from the Pacers. And I think Greg Popovich just cultivated him and made him a great player. I think one thing that wasn't taught, though, was, was his effort and aggression on the court. I think he has tremendous effort and tremendous poise on the court. Right, and his shooting, too. I mean, he came into the league with a knack and a reputation that was deservedly so that he wasn't the best shooter. And now he's approaching that 50-40-90 club, which is insane. I mean, that is just the elite-level type stuff. But I would also say that for the offensive workload he's gotten, Chris, 26 points a game, uh, his career high, the defense hasn't slipped. He's still that tenacious perimeter defender, which is why I think we got to open up that MVP discussion now. It's not just the Westbrook-Harden race. I think Leonard's smack dab in the middle of it now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree Leonard's smack dab in the middle of an MVP race. The only thing I would take for Leonard, and I hate to take anything from him, but I still think he's in the best situation playing with the San Antonio Spurs. And I think as good as he has been playing, I think you could possibly say Harden and even Westbrook may have accounted for more wins, in my opinion. I don't know what the numbers say, but I think just the Popovich system with great players is always going to flourish. Yeah, that is that is yeah that is an unfortunate that is an unfortunate knock that the system is just going to maybe hinder back what Kawhi actually does and and obviously any player would like to take that situation to play for Popovich and play for that team. I would say still at this moment Harden's my MVP. I don't know how you see it, but probably Westbrook next and then Kawhi third. I just, it's hard to give the MVP Chris to Westbrook because the team is you know the six seven seed and no player in the last 30 years or so has won an MVP when their team hasn't won 50 games. So I'd probably go Harden, Westbrook, then Kawhi. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would go Harden, Westbrook, and Kawhi right now. I agree with you with Harden number one because I just honestly, even despite Russell averaging a triple-double, I think Harden is doing more. He's just really leading his team, really playing with his team at a great pace, getting everyone involved not being selfish at all, not looking to get the numbers. He's just getting those numbers in that system. I still think that Russ is somewhat looking to get the numbers, looking to get the triple-double. But at the same time, he's averaging 10 assists, so he's still getting other players involved. But I don't think he's getting them involved in the same way James Harden is. I agree with that. And I do want to kind of get back to the Spurs while we're kind of on the topic of awards, Chris. Like, this has to be the year. If you're ever going to give it to him for the rest of his career – this has to be the year that Popovich gets Coach of the Year, right? Right. I, I definitely agree with you. It, it has to be the year. But at the same time, I think other players on the Spurs this year have been getting knocked a little bit. I think a lot of people don't really value uh, LaMarcus Aldridge as much, Kyle Gasol, all the other role players he has on his team. He still has mm-hmm. a pretty, pretty solid team around Kawhi Leonard. But at the same time, I definitely agree with you. They're only three games behind the Warriors who won 52 games, and they're at 49 games. So to win pretty much 50 games at this point in the season already with their roster, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And no other coach really stands out too much, in my opinion. We got it also Maybe for... Dan and Tony. Yeah, no, that's that's the other name near the top of the list. Uh, we also got to throw out you know, your boy from St. Louis, David Lee, whose career is is flourishing again in San Antonio. He's a nice weapon off the bench. But, look, I know how these awards vote, and D'Antoni is probably going to win the award because they value progress from taking a team that was bad to an unexpected good. 
So guys like Belichick don't win, don't win Coach of the Year in the NFL, Popovich in the NBA for that very reason. But when he retires, Chris, if he has one Coach of the Year, that's going to be utterly ridiculous. I'm just saying that right now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, and I honestly think he will get it. I think people realize that the loss of Tim Duncan and just players getting older, Paul Gasol or Marcus Aldridge, and just really one true superstar on your team with teams with multiple superstars and having a second-best record in the NBA, I think there's definitely still a strong possibility that Popovich will get the award. So with the Spurs and the Rockets, Chris is two teams that could maybe challenge Golden State, make things interesting from them. I want to switch to a team that is going in the opposite direction, and that's the Los Angeles Clippers. I've gotten a chance to see them a couple times, Chris, this year, and I'm I'm really not liking what I see on a lot of fronts. We all thought that this would be the make-or-break year for this team. It looks like they're breaking early. Do you think they're done officially being contenders, or is there anything that could salvage this season? Because it's not looking good right now. Not to disrespect the Clippers, but in my honest opinion, they were never true contenders. I, I always thought that they had one true superstar in Chris Paul, and I always thought Blake was always a developing player, superstar, and he's still developing. He's still not necessarily great when it's back to the basket. He's not a true big man where he's going to truly dominate the paint. Uh, you get what you get from DeAndre Jordan, and the other pieces around him were solid. But to me, the team never truly had a lot of cohesiveness with one another, even though they have three big-name players with a lot of endorsements. But the only true superstar I thought they had was Chris Paul. And it's hard to win and beat good teams when your best player is 6-1. Yeah, and their bench is just awful. I mean, you don't really fear anything in their second unit for – as much endorsement and star power you have at the front, you just don't think anybody at their bench is going to do anything for that unit. And I wonder, too, Chris, if they do blow this thing up, if, if big changes come this offseason, you have the Chris Paul question, because he is a free agent this year. You also have Blake on the books as well. I wonder, though, can, can a team win structure the way the Clippers are? Do they need to go for a stretch four, maybe let Blake walk or try to flip him? Because you just don't see that traditional two-big set anymore in the NBA. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. Maybe they could get a, a small forward, uh, stretch power forward for Blake. Or, I don't know, maybe Chris Paul walks. I don't know. I, I, I just think this thing has to be blown up. I think they should have possibly blown it up two, three years ago. My philosophy on things like this, I don't think you should wait five, six, seven years to see if something's going to work. I think if it doesn't work after two, three, four years at max, it needs to be blown up. Yeah. So, I don't know if to let Blake go. He's the younger player. But to me, Chris Paul is still the better player and will probably still be the better player over the course of the next three to four years. So, I think they have a tough decision to make. It's not going to be easy for the Clippers. They relied on uh, the injury bug was their excuse. And, and there was some validity to that. But at the end of the day, I agree with you. You do have to make some moves. Before, Chris, we switch to the Eastern Conference, I just want to talk about the bottom of the West you got to get a sense, looking at the standings, how things are going to shake out. The Jazz, by the way, at fourth, who are a solid four-team right now. They have a game and a half up, the best, uh, the fewest points allowed in the entire NBA this year. But you have Memphis, six right now, Oklahoma, seven. And then right now it's Denver in that eighth spot with a losing record, five under, 500. Is there anybody towards the bottom of a team, maybe I haven't mentioned, that you think could get into the playoffs and maybe make things interesting? Ah. Uh. 
The only team I think could possibly, well, it's two teams I think who could possibly make the playoffs and make things interesting, and they will be battling for that eight seed the rest of the season, and those teams are Portland and Dallas. I think Portland has the pieces to make any team worry with Damian Lillard and uh, CJ McCollum. That's a dynamic scoring duo. Plus, they have good, solid role players. They have uh, Joseph Nesbitch now, and they have uh, Heckless. Aminu. So I think they have a solid team, a young team, and a hungry team that can make any team scared. And even Dallas. I think Dallas could give a team a scare, not as much as Portland, but I think Dallas could scare any team. And I think once the playoffs roll around, if they do make it, I think Dirk could be more energized and we all know what Dirk could do. So I think both teams play hard for their coaches. So I think they could give a scare to any team if they were to make the playoffs. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too. I think Carlisle is one of the more underrated coaches, so in a series, it's probably not one that another coach would want to face. And I agree with you on the front that Portland has a lot of talent. They underachieved early with the Lillard-McCollum backcourt. You know, that could possibly be a nightmare. The one team, of all the ones that I mentioned, I'm actually not really buying Oklahoma City. I don't think that they're, there's just enough weapons there. Westbrook's going to have to do it all himself. We saw last night, he scores 58, and they still lose that game. I actually think Denver, Chris, could make things interesting because I like what Jokic does. I think they have a lot of young players, a lot of young players, a lot of depth on that team, and they could score. So they could be entertaining. I'll stop short of predicting that they win more than a couple games, but Denver's a team I think could be an entertaining first-round playoff series. Yeah, I definitely agree. They have a lot of young they're a fun team to watch. I think they could be entertaining, but I think the other teams have more playoff series, so once the playoffs come, I think they could be more dangerous than Denver, but I think Denver is definitely an entertaining team. So chat with Chris Scruggs, Money Mitch Effect, talking NBA action on this March midday afternoon here in California. It's evening where Chris is in St. Louis. Chris, I'm going to switch to the Eastern Conference the team that has been the standard bearer for the last couple of years, the Cleveland Cavaliers, but they've been struggling a bit recently. It's not new to see a team, to see a LeBron James-led team, have a couple hiccups around this time of year. But I would say more than that, the injury bug has been a factor. We saw Bogut play less than a minute, break his leg. He's done for the year. J.R. Smith's about to come back. They've been kind of beat up at the perimeter positions. Should this team, should fans of this team be worried at all? to some degree, or is it still run-of-the-mill, they'll be fine? I think it's still definitely run-of-the-mill, they'll be fine. They have more talent top to bottom than any team in the Eastern Conference. I just think with LeBron James, Kevin Love, he comes back, J.R. Smith, D. Will, just the team they have, I think there's still a lot to make it to the NBA Finals by far. I think it's only two teams that I honestly could think could give them a scare. Boston, maybe the Wizards in Toronto. I, I just think the Cavaliers have too much talent to not make it to the NBA Finals compared to their conference series in the uh, Eastern Conference. Right, and I think the question is like, how are we great? Like, how are we grading this question? Is it should they be worried that they're going to go to the finals? No, but I, I think part of it is the expectation now is championship or failure. And if you're saying to me. Should they be worried that they're not going to win the title? Then, yeah, absolutely, they should be worried. Because if it's Golden State or even if it's San Antonio, you might not like what you're seeing. You might not like the injuries. They do lack some size inside. But 
in terms of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, as long as LeBron, as long as Kyrie and Kevin Love are on the court, they're fine. And even if one of those three, Kyrie or Love, are not on the court, they're probably still fine as well in the Eastern Conference. Honestly, if you honestly just left LeBron out there, I think they'll still be fine in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> if he, but uh, yeah, once on the NBA Finals, I think they need, I think they need LeBron and Kyrie for sure. Yeah, both of those guys. But I think they can't afford to miss either one of those guys once the NBA Finals come. I think they can still afford to miss Kevin Love, but, but those two guys, I think they definitely need. Now look at the whether e- they play the Warriors or the Spurs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. But I look at the Eastern Conference to play devil's advocate because I don't think it's going to be maybe not as easy as it was last year. But I still think it obviously is the Cavs' conference to lose. If I had to put my money on one team to give them the, the biggest scare, Chris, mine is still on Toronto. I think the Ibaka addition, I think if DeRozan and Lowry are healthy with P.J. Tucker, an underrated, underrated defender... I think they're the one team. Still not sold. Boston has the pieces. The Wizards are a good story, but they're a body or two away. I would like Toronto to be number two again in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, but with Kyle Laurie injury, I don't think uh, I could buy Toronto this year. If I had to pick one team to give them a scare, I think it would definitely take luck for them to meet in the playoffs, but I would have to go with the Washington Wizards. I think okay. with John Wall and Brad Bill. And Otto Porter and Oubre and just their young players and Gortat. I think they would actually be a pretty nice matchup. I think the team will play hard against the Cavs. I think they will be ready for the defensive challenge. And I just think they have more, I'm not going to say more stars, but I think their stars would be more ready for the moment in a seven-game series with the Cavaliers if they were to meet. Well, Bogdanovich was a good pickup. It gave them another wing player. And I think Porter, his development, I mean, we were throwing around the bus word for a while, and he's turned to be a very good player. The one thing you do know, I mean, you look at all these teams, I guess you put, you know, they all have good point guards. But with Wall, it almost seems, and and I am a fan of this, it almost seems on a personal level, like he wants to take it to Kyrie and the Cavs every game to prove that he's at that level. So I I see where you're coming from with the Wall-Beal factor, Beal also playing well this year. Yeah, and I think John Wall has that attitude with every point guard he faces who has a name. He wants to just go at them. Yeah, it's it's definitely a good quality to have, and it's something that I think could prove to be very, very beneficial for this team. But it's still going to be tough to knock Cleveland off their perch. I do want to switch up now and talk a little bit about the trade deadline, Chris, that passed. And two, three names we'll say that didn't get moved. Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and then Carmelo Anthony. But I want to focus it on Butler and Paul George. These are two young guys, two guys that you could say are at or nearing the peak of their career. They were dangled at the deadline, Chris. They were not traded. Both these teams are maybe going into the rebuild mode in the next couple of years. Do you think they're going to be long-term plays? Do you think they're going to be long-term factors in these in their respective franchises? Or do you think eventually whether it's a year or two or somewhere down the road, they'll be moved. I definitely think both of those guys will be moved. The only way I think those guys stay is if before they're moved, the team builds a championship team around those guys. I think Jimmy Butler's name has been mentioned in too many trade rumors. And I honestly think Paul George just needs a change of scenery. I think since that, since coming back from the injury, 
Paul George did become a star again. I still do not think he has been the player he was pre-injury. And uh, Jimmy Butler, I think he's a star. He's right behind Kawhi Leonard. To me, he's made the most improvement. Yeah. More improvement than any other player besides Kawhi Leonard over the past couple of years. But I think he's been in a bad situation. He played second fiddle to Derrick Rose for a couple of years. Then he had a bad team, an average team. Still a competitive team in the Eastern Conference, but he's only had average teams since he's been the man in Chicago. So, And his name has been dangled in trade rumors. So I think whether it's one year or two years, I think both of these guys will be gone soon. Yeah, Butler in Chicago, that team is a mess. And unfortunately, I just think it's going to be a while before they're anything again. So I think he's the most likely to eventually be gone. I know they want to rebuild around it, but guys get frustrated when they're not winning in the prime of their career. They don't want to be the next Kevin Garnett that it took you know, almost a decade, over a decade before he left town and really had a chance to contend. Paul George is interesting, though, Chris, because I said mood, but he could very well leave on his own when his contract is up. I think Indiana and I think Larry Bird understand that. And they're seeing that destination like a Lakers. He's from out in the West Coast. I think he very much would like to sign with that team. You wonder, though, you don't want these teams to be caught in between a rock and a hard place where they're not getting anything for a star player. I think that's why you see trades like the DeMarcus Cousins trade where they had to get something because he might not have been around much longer. Yeah, but did they get anything for him? I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't much. It wasn't much. And that's a that's an indictment of the Sacramento organization. But I guess it's better than nothing. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Anything is better than nothing, whether that's a second-round pitch, uh, saving money in your cap space or anything. I, I definitely think anything is better than nothing. And if I was an uh, owner, GM, my mindset would be if I thought a player was going to leave in free agency or he didn't commit, I would trade him as well. So can't get mad at business no. and at the same time I definitely agree with you when you say Paul George from the west coast and he wants to be in LA I would definitely try to move Paul George to the Lakers before he just signs with him on his own well, he's got one more year the the following season is his last under contract and I think that's when this time next year when the trade deadline happens we're really going to see some activity if he's not dealt in the offseason but I'm with you I think both these guys end up leaving well, Chris Scruggs, before I let you go on the Money Mitch Effect, I do want to end this conversation with March Madness approaching. Pretty soon it'll be time for the draft lottery and then the draft. This is as deep of a freshman pool, deep as a NBA talent, incoming talent pool, as we've seen. There's a lot of superstar talent, potential superstar talent, in what some experts are calling the deepest draft ever, potentially. Who are some of the guys that have caught your eye in the college scene, some of these superstar freshmen that you think can be, and in your opinion, will be dominant NBA players? Well, there's a few. Uh, there's two I like in particular. I like Lonzo Ball, of course. I think he's a, a great player. I think he has great court vision. I like his feel for the game. He's a, a pretty good shooter. I don't know about his release at the next level, but just overall, his intangibles passing, uh, the potential he has in the NBA, I think he's NBA-ready pretty much already. I like him a lot. And I also like the kid from St. Louis, Jason Tatum. He plays for Duke. I saw today that he was third-team all-conference in the mm-hmm. ACC. He's a 6'8 freshman. Right now, I think the problem with Jason Tatum, though, is I would like to see him more in a Sean Livingston role playing a point guard. But I think because of his lack of athleticism, 
and his speed, if he could work on his speed and athleticism a little bit, I would like to see him at the one position, but I think when he goes to the NBA, he'll be a three, and I don't necessarily know how that would work out for him. I think he would definitely be a solid NBA player, but as far as star potential, I don't know if he could become a star playing that three position. Yeah, it's interesting. Both the guys you mentioned, I'm fans of both, and they're they're different. It's the, the way they play, the the body, the builds that they have. It's very unique. Ball being a point guard that's taller, that has unbelievable court vision, leading the country in assists this year. I think you you can plug and play him, like you said, he'll be good to go. Tatum, you know, it's funny. I watched him play today as well, taking it to the hoop as fundamentally sound as any player that I've seen with the reach that he has, too. He can finish at the hoop with ease because he's able to get separation there. I do wonder, I do have the questions of where does he fit, how does he develop his shot, can he get a little quicker. I'm surprised you didn't mention Fultz out of Washington, though. That looks like the guy that's going to be the number one pick. And it's easy to see why. I know the team was terrible this year. We're not going to see him in March Madness. But that kid's just an athlete. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Uh, the freshman freshman guard, 6'4", mm-hmm. he's a, athleticism is a 10. I, I've seen him jump out the gym. He could do it all. His jump shot is pretty good. I would like to see his jump shot at the next level. And also, with this with this game, I would just like to see how he match up in the NBA. We have so many great athletic point guards in the NBA. I still like him. I personally wouldn't take him with the number one pick. But I definitely think his game is strong. I definitely think he's a solid player. But I would just like to see how he matches up with the NBA player at the NBA level. And that goes for every player in this draft. I think it's easy to say one thing, but you never know. We might have a Kawhi Leonard in the draft who wasn't picked in the top ten, but is a you know, top three player in the NBA five years later. Which is so. crazy too, Chris, because if you do the top 16 mock draft picks right now on NBADraft.net, one international, the other 15 are freshmen, so they are all coming in bunches this year. It's interesting, too. I mean, we don't know. There is that Kawhi Leonard potential. There's that late-round pick, uh, that or late mid to late first, maybe even second-rounder, like a Draymond Green type that could be an all-star. Jackson out of Kansas, I think I'm interested to see him. But I'm also, too, one last name I'll throw at you, Chris. Malik Monk. He's got some big-time confidence in his shot. I don't know where he'll get drafted. I'm assuming top five, top ten. But I think he's a guy that could be a very clutch performer at the next level. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Malik Monk isn't the tallest guy. I think he's only like 6'2", 6'3". But he kind of reminds me of Kimball Walker. And the reason I say that is when I saw Kimball Walker in his last year of college, I know he had an amazing season. He was doing a lot of great stuff, but I thought, man, there's no way he could do this against NBA competition. Mm -hmm. And I kind of get that same feel with Malik Monk. So I'd be interested to see what he does at the next level. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting to see. And you got to mention too, Chris, I know you're a Laker fan. I know you're going to be on pins and needles trying to make sure they get that top three pick. This could be a game changer if they don't have to give their pick away one more year to get one of these guys and then maybe sign Paul George. I definitely don't think the NBA will not let it go. With Magic becoming the man with the Lakers once again, I don't think the yeah. NBA let them not get that top three pick. But, yeah, hopefully they can uh, make a move, make the right pick, and that pick can pan out and hopefully sign Paul George. But I think even with those moves, I don't see the Lakers becoming a competitive team again until at least three to four years down the line. 
It's going to be an interesting draft lottery with the Celtics having Brooklyn's pick, the Rikers in it as well. And you mentioned Magic, Chris. He pretty much, I shouldn't even say pretty much, the man runs his city now. Like, there's nothing he doesn't have his hands in at this point. Yeah, I definitely agree. Magic is the uh, man in L.A. He's definitely put the city not on his back, but represented the city and the franchise well and really invested in Los Angeles. So I think this was a perfect fit for him. He's worked with the Dodgers, now back at the Lakers. So I think he's ready to make something happen. I think he definitely will make the Lakers competitive again. But over the next few years, unless he lands that huge name, I think it would still be a tall task to get the Lakers to the championship again, and especially win one. Sure looks like it, but again, you know, there's only one way to find out, and that's why we love this game. Chris, this was fun. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect second time through. Definitely not your last. Appreciate you taking the time to talk some hoops. Yes, yeah, sir, and thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. It's always a good time to talk hoops with Chris Scruggs. Thanks to him for taking time to discuss the NBA with me. Definitely a sharp basketball mind. He'll be back on shortly. I guarantee you that. Now it's time to talk to George Pinozian, the multi-talented, multi-dimensional, sometimes hipster George Pinozian. We're going to talk about Indian Wells, the preview on the men's and women's side. We're also going to touch on Tony Romo potentially going to the Texans. We had to comment on the Texans Browns trade as me being a Browns fan that trade broke right before we recorded it so we touched on that as well as some tennis thoughts on the fifth major Palm Springs Palm Desert Indian Wells let's get into it now with George Pinozzi on the Money Mitch Effect. It's time to talk tennis on the Money Mitch Effect and I brought in my expert the guru himself George Pinozian. We're bringing it old school today, Mitch. We are bringing it old school. You know, Glad to have I'm you back. I'm one of the OGs. You are. You are. <laughs> I think the very first episode, too, so we got to come full circle. Nice. Before we get to tennis, so it's funny because I was showing you the videos of the hockey players with their hair at Minnesota, the all-hockey hair team. Oh, yeah. So you're getting to see a time of year where we're, we're all excited. I mean, anytime you can, you can reference high school kids with just afros and mullets, I think it's a good time for for sports in the United States of America. Yeah, not only in hockey, but in basketball, too. You know, I've been seeing a lot of those high school players play. Yeah, the ball family. Yeah, are, you in, uh, are you in, uh, what's it, is it LeVar Ball? Are you in his good graces? Is he going to... The middle brother? No, LeVar? the dad. Oh, okay, the dad. Uh, uh, He's kind of out there. You know, I, I was kind of sad that I, I wasn't able to, to meet him when I went to the Chino Hills game because I wanted to see him and kind of see, like, what everyone's talking about. But yeah, he's a little ridiculous. He's out there. Hey, he's better. doing it on purpose, though. He's smart. Better than Steph. He's feuding with uh, yeah, Charles he's, Barkley. Honestly, he's doing it on purpose just to like raise the draft stock for his son. Yeah, I mean it's exciting to see, especially this time of year with March Madness happening. But yeah, he wants to get his son's name out there, and I don't know. It, it's you got to see him play. You got to see them the lose. Hello. So or yeah. not lose, but you were at the game they won. But I was at the game right they won, after. but they lost. Yeah, the following week. But uh, Lamelo Ball was like. He was really special, though. He was pretty unbelievable. Like, you definitely saw something in him that was kind of rare. So he's gonna be a star. For sure. And that's why they uh, they're working when no one else is, according to their dad, according to their dad, on holidays, on 
on sick days. It'll and take no days, days off. off. <laughs> no days off. No days off. Uh, before we get to the Indian Wells preview, which is why we're here, I got to ask you, though, because it's going to be a while before we have another show and, and just on the spot. We were in there when we saw the Brock Osweiler trade to the Browns, and I ask you specifically, George, because Osweiler trade from the Texans to the Browns means your guy Tony Romo is going to probably stay in state and be that team's quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, I guess he loves that Texas barbecue. You know what I mean? He can't leave it. He's addicted to the sauce. <laughs> Look at the sauce, okay. You know, the yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's addicted to the brisket to, and the tri-tip. No, I mean, yeah, it's it's obviously kind of like a mixed emotions kind of a day for a Cowboys fan. And I don't, I don't consider myself like a diehard Cowboys fan, but I kind of grew up liking them. And um, it's sad because he had, you know, there was a lot of good memories with him for sure. And a lot of bad ones too in the playoffs mostly. But like, <laughs> yeah. he brought a lot of excitement to like kind of the, the whole franchise. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him succeed. Like if he goes to the Texans, I want to see him do well. Yeah. And I know you talked about your dad, you know, coming to this country, being a Cowboys fan. And yeah. Like, it was obviously... America's team and, you know, I was moving to America. So yeah. That's I mean, just, yeah. That's, that's fair enough. I'm glad it wasn't the Steelers your dad picked, but the Cowboys are, are good indeed. And, you talk about how, like, Jerry Jones, like, he's kind of a ruthless owner at times. You know the relationship is tight. He wanted to do right by Romo. He wanted to, I mean, it's not official yet, but all the dots are just about connected that he's going to be a Houston Texan. I wonder, too, though, like, there is no way, right, George, that he was going to trade Romo to the Redskins. Like, that was just never going to happen when that rumor was out oh, there. No, not in division. No. And I even think Romo himself was not willing to go there either because he was... He's got a few good years left. I mean, he, yeah, he's got definitely. the back injury. You, you hope that he can I mean, stay healthy. I don't healthy. think he's going to win the Super Bowl, though. I don't think he's good. Why that? Why Why didn't you do it with the Cowboys? What do you mean? Yeah, I just, what do you the, mean? The Texans' defense is nasty. They got great skill position. So, they made the final eight last year so with Brock Osweiler. It's, uh, you're, you're saying that the reason the Cowboys technically haven't made it to the Super Bowl at, within the last, like, what? 15 years is because of their defense. They haven't had the yeah. right defense. It was, so here's what happened last year, in my opinion. The team got a lot better in the last year. It wasn't beca- all because of Dak Prescott, who had a great year, Offensive Rookie of the Year. But Rumble probably would have done similar success-wise to Prescott, get to the second round of the playoffs. I know they they lost to the Packers who were on fire, but yeah, I don't think That's Romo would. True. Yeah, I don't think Romo because Elliott was like yeah, they didn't have Elliott. Too. You know, he didn't have Elliott, so true. You know, but well, I think I mean, uh, on a good team, on a team with a good defense, the Texans and the AFC, it's the Patriots, and that's pretty much the only consistent force right now. Yeah. Why can't they make a run? I'm not saying win the Super Bowl, but it's a great situation to be in. We saw their odds go from 40 to one to 15 to one just on the trade to set up a Romo acquisition. So. 15 to one still a lot. Hmm. Got to wet the beak sometimes, though. Not that either of us would know. Uh, I mean, Cowboys. I think I still have more of a chance than winning the Super Bowl next year than the Texans do if the, if Romo goes there. I think. Close. I think. Yeah, you're probably right. Because but, of Elliott. But if JJ Watt's back and healthy, Prescott. they didn't have him last year. Now you had Romo yeah, into the they, mix. That guy gets hurt every year, though. Eh. Last year was like the first time he missed real time. But I see what you're, it, it's always a Lately, toss-up, but it's a yeah. good position to be in. And for the Browns, they just clear that space. They just get a draft pick, and, you know, they have all that cap space. I don't think Osweiler is ever going to be a factor, but you could do worse. Yeah, like, for Cleveland, I think he's good. <laughs> like, <laughs> and they might funny. draft somebody because anyway. Because he has his moments. Like, he has some games where he's, like, not bad, and he's a really tall dude, you know. 6'7". <laughs> yeah, he's, that's, he's a big quarterback, but... 
his footwork sucks, I think. So that's Most why, like, yeah. So that's why it's hard for him to like. I think he was just the throw-in, which is crazy to say because last offseason he was like the guy, like who's yeah. gonna get Brock Osweiler. Well, but, the Broncos were good for him. It was a good fit because of that yeah. offensive line. Probably gave him so much protection. Yeah. Well, the Browns get a second-round pick out of it, and the Texans could get Romo. So. Something to monitor. But all right, let's switch now to tennis. That's why we're here. And George, Indian Wells, you're a California native. You represent a lot of different places in California, L.A., Valencia, Glendale, what have you. But this tournament means a lot. (laughs) Glendale, George. I don't really represent Glendale. Burbank. That's my hometown, yeah. yeah. Okay. Shout out to Burbank. Shout out. Warner Brothers, what up? But (laughs) we if we get into the reason why... This tournament specifically, Indian Wells, a lot of people dub it the fifth major. It gets most, if not all, the top players every year. It means a lot to this region, the country, and the country itself, George, because it's a time of year, the March season, where you have two Masters events, that's it. A lot of money at stake, a lot of ranking points at stake. But it's a chance for a lot of these fans to get their one opportunity a year to see the top players in the world play tennis. Yeah, and it's and somewhere close. That's the the good thing about LA. That it's you know it's the only there's the in Palm Springs Indian Wells. It's only like two hours away, so it's not bad. Um, but yeah, all the best players go there. So every year it's super exciting for for all of the tennis fan, tennis fans that are out in LA to kind of make that trip over there. And even all the people that live in like Indian Wells or Palm Springs too, I'm sure, are into it as well. But yeah, I love it. I've been twice, and I'm going this year again. So. I'm super excited to see all these players that I see on uh, TV when I'm editing, when I'm clicking buttons. I see all <laughs> these re- mashing. You know, yeah, when I see all these replays of all these players, the NG shots, and, and when you see them up close, it's like, it's, it's awesome, I think, as an editor, like a tennis editor. I think, too, what people don't understand is seeing them practice is something special, too. That's just seeing the, them hit the ball, yeah, right? That's, like, just that's seeing it, them in my ball. opinion, that's like a, literally like 10 times better than watching a match <laughs> because you see them in their true element and like, it's different, and then or you or just watch a match on the on the smaller courts. I kind of over the bigger courts, even though like I know like Fed and stuff will play there. And, yeah, but you got to see Fed, obviously. Well, it's too. It, I mean, the draw is one thing. I think players. I mean, you gotta you have to house Federer fans and and yeah, Nadal like if fans, Nadal's playing yeah. on Stadium One, which you might like, I'm gonna go and watch him. Yeah, like I, even though like might not be able to be super close, I need to figure that out. But what's one thing, George, when you see these players play, whether it's a big court or a smaller one, that's different than watching it on TV? What's something that you might notice seeing them play in person that you don't pick up? Well, more on the of screen? their more of their like demeanor of like the whole match, and kind of you get to hear them talk. You you, you see more of their personality, I think. Yeah. Big time, you kind of see them like, like I said, in their like true element. So you almost see like what kind of person they are. Like, oh, that person's cool. Like when I saw. Belgopolov, like he just looked like a cool guy. Like he was He's wearing, talking like, to himself. A he was, like he had a soccer ball. Two of his trainers were there, and they were kicking a soccer ball around, like at Indian Wells. And he had like the cleats on, like soccer cleats on, indoor ones, and then uh, wearing a Joma shirt. Well, you love that. And <laughs> just so, Joma, gotta represent. Ponytail. I think you know <laughs> I, the pace of the ball, how hard they hit it, how hard they crack oh, serves, yeah, yeah. and what they get back. Oh, yeah, that's, that's something that you can't. Um, you can't pick up. Yeah, you know, you can't pick part, up yeah. unless you're there. I think it too, like watching Nadal, we mentioned him. Like I saw him last year. The spin, just every, it, it's the He's way like, he plays the game is so unique because he puts so much spin on it that it's almost like something you you haven't really seen before. Yeah. The angles, how they approach. But to me, what also stood out was the interaction with their coaches. 
Yeah. If you're lucky enough to sit near a coach in that near one of their boxes or just near where the players would be interacting, that's fascinating too. How they're looking up, how the coaches are trying to like motivate them, how how during the visits what they're able to say to them. You can pick up on some of that, like what yeah. the coaches are saying. I told you that Simone story, right? The chocolate story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can you tell it again. Yeah, he was just like uh, he was practicing, and then some girl was eating chocolate on the side, and then as he was hitting, and, and the girl was like a fan too. He was like. Are you eating chocolate while I am practicing? <laughs> and then like the girl like giggled and she's like, "Ha, ah, yeah." And then like whatever, he like kept quiet and he just like kept like hitting some balls with his partner. And then after like two minutes, he's like, "So how is the chocolate?" He's like, "How is the chocolate?" Like a funny yeah. French guy like loving chocolate. My favorite story <laughs> from my favorite story from last year uh, was sitting courtside. Belinda Benchich actually lost in an upset. And we were sitting near her dad, who's her coach, and he was essentially losing his mind over a few challenges. Because it's funny, because one thing you don't really understand looking at the outside is that the players and the coaches do not always agree with Hawkeye. They think it gets off on occasion. It's not a perfect science. I think they say it's in that 99% range. But she had two challenges go against her, and he was just losing his mind, like screaming in like broken English, like the ball was two feet out. Like he was screaming at the umpire, kind of. Or? Yeah, and and the end of the heavens, you know. But it's that, yeah. that term, especially George. It's the, so the hot. It's so it's so hot out there. It can get up to hundred degrees in the desert during the day, and yeah. then at night get down to the sixties. But it's hot. Yeah. You know, your emotions are running, and it's a big tournament. I I don't undersell yeah. it when I say. You could yeah, say world tour. Slab, I mean, yeah. world tour finals. All right, but after that, it's got to be the next most non-major important tournament. Yeah, definitely. That well, that's why I think they call it the fifth slam because it's all the best players playing it, and it's awesome, and it's right here. So it feels like a slam because it's so important, and it's and it's and Palm Springs is like a it's a vacation spot. You know, Indian Wells. You know, I, I say Coachella Valley. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like it's palm trees like it's hot like people go there they kind of like relax you know so it's yeah. it's it, it's great for that too mm-hmm. it's a good reason good good getaway yeah and anytime you get a chance to see the top players in the world play in the states it doesn't happen much you know we both are lucky enough to get to see it happen and uh we definitely encourage anyone to go see it now still chatting with george pinozzi on the money mitch effect let's get into Baby Jordy, yeah. Let's get Sweet and Hollow's Baby Jordy too. He's a, he's yeah. a man of many talents. But let's get into the draws. <laughs> Singing. Let's start with the women this time, and I want to start with that because George, it's a weakened field. We were expecting that with Sharapova still serving suspension, the unfortunate circumstance of Petra Kvitova. She's not playing. Azarenka is still recovering from pregnancy. She's going to make a full recovery, but not for a few more months. And then the other domino, the big domino fall, Serena Williams, is out of Indian Wells and out of Miami, citing a knee injury. Who's going to win? That, <laughs> that's an entirely different debate. But from the Serena side, I mean, we, we always expect her to just be a last-minute pull-out of these tournaments. It's a little, I would say, mildly disappointing that she's not playing the two Masters in the month of March. It would have been good to see her out on the court, but we all know, George, she's only chasing Grand Slams at this point. Yeah, I mean, she was probably definitely thinking months ago that I'm going to see how I feel. <laughs> and if, like, a co- I'm going to just wing it. And if I feel like playing any wells, I'll do it. If not, I'm just going to back out and say that my knee's hurt. Because it's obviously an excuse. I mean, there could be some pain maybe that she has in her knees, but I don't think it's that serious for her. This was a slam she would have played, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, So, 
the timing of it's funny, like a couple days before the the tournament starting. So and obviously with the whole history of Indian Wells and the Williams sisters, like I don't know if that played a factor into it either. Well, I don't think that did. Maybe I'm no. being naive. I think they've kind of yeah, they moved, moved past, past it. That, yeah. Venus had her homecoming last year, exactly. and she lost in the first round, but she was she was fine. And she got yeah. played. Played a few times. years. Hasn't won since, but How I think it's been two years. Played? I think it's two years. I think yeah. last year was her second. Serena went back first, and I think then Venus did. We talk about the money factor. Is Venus playing? Venus is playing, yes. Oh. I, yeah, yeah, she's playing. We talk about the money factor. Serena obviously doesn't need the money. The rest of these players, this is like, like a million-dollar payout if you win. Oh, yeah. It's big-time money to be playing in this tournament. But Well, they probably all texted Serena after saying thanks. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's funny because you. she didn't pull, she pulled out the day after or the same day that the draw was released, which is strange timing. You'd think she'd do it right before or maybe all the way up leading to. The tournament, I know Lindsay Dow. was released already? Yeah, it was, was already first released. Who was opponent? She had Puig in a, uh, most it was going to be Monica Puig. In the second round. In the second round, she'd have a bye in the first. But what they did was they moved everybody up because it was it was in that grace period of matches hadn't started yet. Um, so they put Pliskova. So I mean, she can be Puig easily. Yeah, on one leg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I think with her, I mean, we saw Lindsay Davenport, tennis channel analyst, said she wasn't going to her practice events, she wasn't training, and that was a red flag for someone that covers the game, does not see Serena out there. If she's not 100% and she's not tuning up for a major, why would she ever consistently play? She'll play majors, she'll play a tournament or two before. I think that's it. That's all we should expect from Serena for the rest of her career, which could be this year. (laughs) Yeah, and also maybe some creative ideas on Reddit or something. I don't know. (laughs) Hey, it does suck for the fans, though. I mean, I'm going to say that because I know, like, as people that wanted to see her in person, in America, yeah. in California, yeah. where she has I guess, I guess because I've seen her in person before, yeah. so that's why... I mean, I would like to, again. I wouldn't mind it. And I know she I wouldn't mind it, but, like, yeah. her not being in the tournament is, like, doesn't affect me, like, one day. No, like, I'm like, oh, like... But people that haven't seen her, yeah, that are diehard Serena fans from the California yeah, area. Yeah. yeah, that sucks. In Miami, where she has a place, so, I mean, it's her two... It's her two hometowns that she's not playing. Miami, she could have literally rolled out of bed and played. It's not travel at all. It's she lives like know. a couple miles away yeah, right, from so. like the stadium. But with that, and with that in mind, George, we look at the bracket now, and it's not the strongest one in the world. I mentioned all the players that aren't playing. It's an interesting one because with Pliskova assuming that that top spot in the top half of the bracket, she gets played next round, and, and we should note that we're recording this on a Thursday. There haven't been any big matches played yet. A lot of the players are still kind of in that buy range. Puig Pliskova at the top. We look at the bracket. Belinda Bencic is in her side. Svitolina, who's played well. Sybil Kova, Muguruza. If you look at that side of the draw, George, is there anybody that you think could peak at this time of the year and really make a run to win this thing, which, as we know, very, very wide open? Uh, Osaka. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I would I would say Muguruza. Interesting. I, 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 yeah, I think she's uh she's kind of I think she's my pick to to have a good tournament. She has a great game, honestly, and she has a lot of power. And I know sometimes her, the mental aspect of her game is not always up to par, but she's improved a little, and she's getting older, and she's really like maturing into like her full talents, I think, and her body and, like, how to utilize her weapons. So we're looking at a Pliskova-Mugu quarter, potentially. Mm-hmm. She has all the tools, and I don't know if it's mental or fitness, but there's, I'd say, that that 10 to 20%, George, of it just not all clicking. 
We've seen her at majors where she looks like she can beat anybody. She has power, that size, that serve. But for some reason, she finds herself losing to lesser opponents. And Coco Vandeweghe at the Aussie Open, George, just hit her right off the court. So I wonder if she faces adversity, how she'll be able to handle it. And looking at the draw, as great a story as Lucic Baroni is, I think she can get by her. But it's the if it is, it will be her in the third round. Spitalina, though, next round, coming off of a tournament win herself, that could be an interesting match. Spitalina versus Muguruza, somebody that has been playing yeah, well. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's definitely not an easy match for, for Muguruza. If but, Spitalina um, can get by so plays Gavrilova M- Mugur- is the other one. Yeah, that's another tough match, too. I'm thinking yeah. Benchich is somebody that I mentioned that I think she could be the one to upset Pliskova before she gets to the quarterfinal. Because I don't know any of the other girls in that region can, can do it, Monica Puig included. But Belinda Benchich has a Masters title to her name, has a victory over Serena Williams. She looks like she's in better shape now. As great as Pliskova is, I think Benchich could be a factor. Yeah, you you've uh, you have that Switzerland love connection. A little bit. Belinda Benchich. Bashinsky's there too. <laughs> Bashinsky. But I, I have noticed that you like Benchich a lot. And uh, I think she was good, but she just gained so much weight. It's, that, like, it's kind of stand-like, her, isn't her, it? Her fitness level, like. And then she's yeah. lost some weight. She's getting back a bit. But she's still not there yet. Fair. And like I'm you also, said, it's hot. It's hot. It's a product of the game, too, I think. Like, I don't think the women's game's at the top level now. I think she's Well, yeah, anybody run. can win, like, <laughs> right now, if you really think about it. Because, like, in women's tennis, like, everyone, they all just choke, like, in big moments. <laughs> Is it kind of stand-like to you? That's the comparison I see. Because when he's on, when he gets it going, he is in this zone where he can make runs. And Benches, for all her faults, has won some big matches, has gone deep into tournaments. Yeah, but she's never won the whole tournament. But you, but I you mean, just not think, major level. It's a smaller level. I feel like it's been a while since she's done that, though. Last year, two years ago, was it last year? Two years ago, beating Serena in Toronto and then beating uh, That's a long Ella. time, yeah. two years ago. Yeah, it is. That's why, I mean, look, I, I think she has a good game. I think she she hits hard. She has good ground strokes. But she just she's not in shape. Like, she needs to be a better athlete. So let me throw out the other side of the quarter, of that semifinal side. The other quarter is high seats Kuznetsova, Sibi, Sibulkova, and Kanta are your top three there. So you got to figure one of those three is probably on pace to get to a quarterfinal matchup with, the other side that we were, or a semifinal matchup, I should say, that we were looking at. Sibby usually plays well in hot tournaments. She does, <laughs> yeah. she does though. Yeah. She, she, like in Australia, she, she's done well there, and it's really hot and humid there. And Palm Springs is dry, you know. It's, it's hot, but it's not humid. It's dry. Yeah, I think there's a factor there. She's, she's got a lot of energy on the court, and I yeah. think she can return well. That, that's a very underrated part of her game. Kuznetsova is just a pro. Like, she's yeah. just been around the block. Solid. She's in her 30s. She's, you're not going to phase her with any oh. new tactic. Kanta's <laughs> game, though, might be the best out of all the names oh, yeah. I mentioned. When she Very unorthodox, that, but she has a good game, though. I think she can make a run there. And she's going to play her countrymate, Heather Watson, first. But if we see Kanta, Kuznetsova, that's a good matchup. The other name to keep an eye on, George, Daria Kasakina. Last year, she made a deep run. 16 or quarterfinals of Indian Wells. Yeah, she's Todd, she's Todd's young. Girl. She's young, and I think she could. Sibokova, that's not an easy matchup in the third round. <laughs> Kasakina Sibi, that might be one to look at if you're if you're looking to play the odds on sportsbook or or something. I guess, yeah. So let's look at the other side of the women's draw: George Pinozzi, Money Mitch Effect, Indian Wells preview. 
Got to start with this, the return of Madison Keys. She's a nine seed in the tournament, but again, due to the Serena Williams injury, they just slot everyone up. So she's the top of that side of the bracket and on pace to make a quarterfinal. What should we expect from Keys coming lot. back? Honestly, I... I Can I, win this thing? Uh, I mean, I don't know if she she's going to be fit enough to do that, but we should expect a lot from her. Like, I think this is like... A great time for her to seize the opportunity of Serena not being there, and all like you said, all those top players not being there. She needs to start proving to U.S. fans that she's gonna be like a mainstay and she's gonna be like one of the elite. And I don't think she's proven it just yet. So she's somebody, George, that I think. I mean, anytime someone misses time with injury, I want to see fitness questions first. Can she stand the heat? Can she play well? Outside, is she in shape to win this tournament? But you're right, her game is big. And the Keys versus Coco Vandeweghe debate, I think, is going to be an interesting one for the next few years. Which American is going to be next up? They're about the same age. Keys, I think, has a little bit better game, but yeah. she's got to prove that she's there at a consistent level and that she's hungry enough, like you said. They're the same age. To make her, I think Keys. Yeah, I think Coco's not a little older. Huh? Twenty-two, twenty-three. They're right around the same age. They're they're still very very young. Wow. A name to look out for in this region. I mean, this is Simona Halep's side. I shouldn't have said Keys is on track. I mean, Keys is on track for a quarter appearance, but George Halep has been a mess recently. She's the fourth seed in this tournament, but we have no no faith in her, even with all the players out. I don't I, mean, I don't know she, how to explain it. I have not heard a single thing, anything good about her for the last, like, eight months, I would say. What has she done? I know. it's. She's lost the first round multiple tournaments? I mean, I... Well, here's where her points will start to slip. I think she got to the quarters of Indian Wells and got thumped by Serena last year. So this is where she loses early. Then the ranking points are going to start to go down. She's running out of lives for that. It's hard because some of her game is is good, but consistently she's just not there. And, and I'm calling my shot for an upset, a major run in this region, because I think it's a wide... This might be the weakest of all, like, of all the quarters oh, with yeah. help in it. Kiki Maldenovich. I know I'm a fan. Yeah. She gets Bouchard no. probably next round. That could be an interesting matchup. Yeah. Help after that. Any yeah. one of those three names can make a run. These that, names are a little more interesting. Right. I like these names a little more. A little more attractive females, too. Wozniacki's in this region, too. Yeah, but I like Maldenovich, too. I, I, her uh, game's good. I mean, it's a, good, it's, yeah. it's a lot of drop shots. Great at the net. No, she's good. Bouchard, we and can't Bouchard, really expect you, you much can't up, trust. Though. You can't trust, but... She's had a decent season so far this year compared to last. Yeah, it's early. I mean, it's hard to say, like, what... She made a final, right? Mm, did no. she? I think she might Some have. We don't, we don't cover WTA anymore on Tennis Channel, so we might not know. Let's start talking about the men. But we got one more. I will get there, George. So come on, we'll get there. The last, the last side of the draw is the Kerber region, the, the new de facto top seat. She's number one in the world now. As soon as this tournament ends, she'll be number one. And I always wonder with her, George, with anybody in this situation, is she not going to take this tournament as serious? Because in the back of her mind, she knows she could lose first round, second round, and she's still number one in the world. No, no, no. Not, she's not going to lose that early. I mean, okay. No, I'm yeah. just I, I, you I, wonder. I can't see that. No, I can't see that. I think the focus is still there on her. Are you sure it, it's a big relief? of pressure on her definitely on her shoulders for for knowing that coming into the tournament but she's she'll I think she'll still like play well and she'll definitely at least make the quarters third round Putin Seva could be an interesting matchup no, no. 
Port. No, okay. Um, Putin save. I almost won a title. Her Mildanovich played a three-set match in St. Petersburg. Redwanska's at the top. But, George, I'm looking for a quarterfinal rematch. Kerber and Coco Vandeweghe, a rematch of Australia. That, at the 20-seed, Kerber com, or Coco comes in. Venus and Vesnina, 12 and 14 respectively, but I got to think Coco's a major player in this tournament. Playing I, great. I, I love that. I love, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of Coco. I'm in love with <laughs> Coco. Uh, so, yeah, um, I'm excited to kind of see how she does, too. So, so what do we think America. in this tournament? Who do you think? What about a final matchup, and who do you think wins it? I mean, I w- I'm going to pick Muguruza to win the whole tournament. That's my pick. Over Kerber? And Kerber, Kerber gets there? Kerber. Um, I mean, if that side of the bracket's wide open, I could see, I mean, you got the Keys, Coco, yeah. Halep. Halep, like, no chance. Aga. Nah. Huh. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's it's a weak side. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's got to be Kerber then from that side. Okay, Kerber. So Kerber, Muguruza, Muguruza winning in the finals. Interesting. That's my pick. If I have to, yeah, yeah I'm going to go with Coco getting all the way to the final. Nice. I like her going there. But I think she'll lose. I think this is the year. I think I'm going to go Pliskova to win this tournament. Nice. I, I like, like her. her coming through. I think she'll She's gotta serve well. make a nice run. But again, I wouldn't sleep on some of the upsets that I, I mentioned. Know. So I think it'll be good. But all right, men's side of the draw now. George Pinozian, Money Mitch Effect, men's side, Indian Wells. Last year, there was no Federer. There was a different dynamic in tennis in this tournament. Djokovic was pretty much untouchable. Now there's Djokovic, now there's Nadal, now there's Federer. They're all in the same quarter. Quarterfinal of death, and justly so. How, how, how does that happen, George? We have three of the greatest players of all time, maybe the three greatest players of all time, in the same quarters of a non-major. That's nuts. Yeah, that's that, that's great, though. That makes for great earlier matches to see, other than the final, you know, and the semis even. So um, it's obviously where they're at at this point in their careers and, you know, the comebacks and of each player. And, and yeah, I'm excited, though, for that. That's awesome. Well, look at it, too. I look at how they're in different stages of their lives. Like Federer, the old Grizzly veteran, I mean, the unbelievable run he had in Australia, which will go down in history. But still at his age, it's hard to consistently predict that he'll be winning tournaments. Nadal, I don't want to say it's not, I mean, he's good. He's better than he's been in a long time, George, but he's just not finishing. I mean, the Australian Open and then Acapulco, the same query. He's shown some vulnerabilities in his game where you think he's not quite where he was and he may never get there, but he's still a dangerous man and a dangerous out in any tournament. And then Djokovic, who, whether it's personal issues, whether his game or just a lack of commitment to the game, is not the same by a long shot either. So you factor that in, and you factor the fact that there's roadblocks before these guys even face each other. Delpo, Kyrgios, Verov, Johnson, all in the same region. It's, it's a madness, I think. Yeah, I mean, even Zverev's a great player to watch and talk about, too. Yeah, Nadal, I mean, like I've said it before, like, I'm already used to him not, he's never going to be the same player. I think everyone's already moved on, and including himself, but he knows that he can be a better version of what he was when he came out of his injury, and he's improved. He's improved a lot. Like you said, he's a dangerous player, and I think a lot of players don't want to play him, but he's vulnerable, yeah, absolutely. Like, he's not, like, uh, can't fully trust him. He's not, like, like, Murray and Joker... Fed, those are guys like when they play certain players, it's like okay, lock to win. There's yeah. no way they lose. But Nadal, like he's vulnerable. Like he could have bad days and yeah. like lose to 
the dog. (laughs) What? Who plays Troisky today in an interesting matchup? Yeah. I would say, and look, I'm a Federer fan through and through. You're an adult guy. We know a lot of Joker fans. And we loved it when they dominated. But the biggest development to me isn't that Nadal and Federer are aging and not the same player. It's that Djokovic doesn't have, he's vulnerable now. And it's way more wide open and exciting in the men's game because there's not this factor of let's just put Joker in the finals. There may be two guys that can beat him. I think it's way more wide open than it was last year. Murray's playing good, but he's still so in vulnerability. And I think it's an exciting tournament. Yeah, it is. It, it's it, it's definitely a way more wide open because last year Djokovic was still dominating. Oh, yeah, he won like, both Masters. He exactly. Won the so, but now like anybody can really win it, and 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 everyone kind of expects Murray to win it. I think Murray should be like one of the favorites to win the tournament because he's number one in the world. You know, easier draw. Easier draw, and like, this is kind of like. His like he hasn't really played that many tournaments as with him being number one in the world with the top players in it, right? Like what yeah. Australian Open, right? Right, and, and then that's that's about it. This is like the second really big tournament that he's playing. Dubai he's was the five hundred level tournament, but yeah. he and he got yeah. lucky there. I mean, Fed goes out, a couple other players go out. He beat Pui and Verdesco to win yeah. it, so not yeah. not exactly murderers. Ramon Fees went out as well. Exactly. Looking, so. let, let's go right into the draw because Murray has a cakewalk. We would say all the way at least to the round of sixteen. That then that would be RBA, which is probably another cakewalk. So For he's sure. into the quarters. We think yeah. just waltzing. Although last year he lost early no, <laughs> to okay. somebody not good. What is he playing like get in the quarters? The quarters. That's where it gets interesting. You're looking at a potential matchup with David Gofan. Or okay. Songa, I should say. Gofan Songa. And that's okay, that's no, no, a challenge. That's a challenge. Gofan but... is one to look out for. I mean, Songa actually is playing a lot better. But as yeah. far as the younger guys go, Gofan is starting to show signs of maybe there is one more gear. Yeah. And I think Gofan is a harder matchup for Murray because Murray knows Songa. He's beaten him multiple yeah. times at big events. But well, Gofan's trickier, yeah. A round of 16 match between Gofan and Songa should be very, very entertaining. Nice. You look at the other side of that quarter, though. And that's the Stan quarter, which, as we know, anything could happen. Stan Marenka, three-time Grand Slam champion, but somebody that can lose first round as well as win the tournament. When Stan's in a tournament, you know anything's possible. And that's, that's his legacy, Swiss. right? There you go with the Swiss love. Hey, I told but, you he could lose first no, no. round. <laughs> no, no, you're right, though. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Stan always adds excitement, and people respect him. A lot of players respect him. People will go out to his court to watch him because he's some, he's... How about a third-round matchup between Stan and the dog? Or Stan and Kohlschreiber, who almost beat Murray. That's got upset potential on it. It does. It, does. it really does. Even, even if, yeah, especially Kohlschreiber, man. Right? His backhand, like, looked nasty that game. But if Stan gets to the fourth round, that's where he'll probably face Bird Dog, Thomas Burdich. Or Karlovich, who, if he can serve his way in there, is also seated. Not the strongest bracket there. Burdich is getting up there. I think even yeah, with Karlovich's age, and even with, on the even with Dr. Evo's age, I, I just think players just don't want to play him. You know, like 37, he's just going to serve. Like, it's just yeah. not ideal. Well, it's annoying. It's, it's yeah. annoying, right? That's what it is. So that, that gives Stan a relatively easy walk into the quarters. But this other quarter, George, is it, to get to a spot in the quarters is interesting because this is where you have Monfils, Team, Isner, Misha Zverev, now, I know Isner and Misha Zverev aren't as good as these guys, but Monfils still hasn't shown that he's consistently a top-10 player. And team, you wonder, in the heat, is his energy level going to be there all the way through? Yeah, I mean, these are great questions, I think. Team's like, yeah, I, I, he's played a lot of tournaments, so he could probably withstand that, that heat. He's been playing a lot of clay tournaments, 
and you know all of those countries it's humid and it's hot so like i think it's going to be a little bit dry for him compared to that but he'll be all right and um monfi like yeah i mean i just expect to have some watch him do some fun tricks and moves during the first few rounds. <laughs> but that's pretty much yeah, where it like, ends, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like what I always... I, Mofi's team would be an exciting match, though. I really hope that, that happens. That I want to see that. I want to see team, team, team and Mofi's shot-making. Team will win it. Uh, if, he can, if he can stand up, I absolutely agree with you. It's all about yeah. where his fitness level is. I mean, you lost yeah. a query recently, who we'll get to on the second half of the bracket. But before the quarterfinal of death, there's the other quarter to look at, and that's... The Chilich side, which it's kind of funny to say Chilich is still sixth seed, but as is the case, Chilich Nishikori, the U.S. Open Finals of 2014, get their own quarter. And I think this is where you could see your boy, George, number 14, uh, or number four, number 17 seed, Jack Sock, maybe get to a quarter. It's probably the easiest one he's going to get in a Masters event all year. But It might be, but he doesn't do well with, like, hot places. <laughs> right. Yeah, he, yeah, he's not good, like, with the heat, so... Any love for the I, Americans? I, I, don't, I don't think Sock's going to yeah. be like make that much. I mean, I think he'll play well, but I can see him making a quarters. Taylor Fritz Benoit pair first round to get to Chilich. I'd like to see Fritz win, but I just don't know that his game's translating no. to that just yet. Not yet. You have Luca Pui in this quarter. You have Sam Query, who is playing better. I mean, he won a tournament. He beat a lot of top thirty guys to do it. So maybe Query can can build off that. And make a run. That was impressive in Acapulco, for sure. But I, I think there's one guy here to look out for, and I may be telling my hand for the prediction segment. Grigor Dimitrov, 12 seed in this yeah. quarter. I, I'm on board. Me too. Me too. And I wanted, to, I wanted to bring this up because there's one guy I want to talk about, and that's Grigor Dimitrov's coach, and that's uh, Danny Vildeview. I bring this up, George, because he's 30 years old also, like yourself, you know, Ooh. just two 30-year-old guys. But yeah, this yeah. is a guy who's a boy genius in the tennis coaching ranks. He befriends, so the long and short of his story is he befriends Andy Murray at a tennis academy. He's from Venezuela. He goes to play tennis in Spain. They become friends. It's a college tennis player at Miami. But they become friends. He ends up coaching Murray when he knows his pro career is not going well at 24, 2010. He's Murray's coach. They go on to win two of his three current Grand Slams. 2014, he goes and works with Burdich, takes Burdich to his highest ranking ever, number four in the world. And then Grigor Dimitrov calls him directly at the end of 2016 says, I want to work with you. And he's already in a Grand Slam semifinal. Wow. Everything he touches wow. to steal a line from my favorite singer is gold. <laughs> and Every I just think touch is gold. You, do, you do the research on this guy. It's a tactical style. Wow. That's his coaching style is tactical, scouting opponents. What have we always That's said about Grigor Dimitrov? He's got all the shot making in the world, but he doesn't understand at times how to play tennis. Well, now he's got this voice in the room, and I think there's a lot to like about the Dimitrov. So is he more of a voice, or is he more of a like a trainer that kind of tells him like what to do during practice, or yeah, more more tactical? Tactical is what it it seems like. He's that because you got to. So he's always understood the game, like because he was a college player himself, right? And he's he was a college player. Yes, he was. I think he was top three in the country in, in, for in, college for tennis. I mean, he's not... For what, what country? Uh, he, he went to college here, Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, really? Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating story. One I think... You should but is he American? No. What, what, what's his nationality? His nationality is he's Venezuelan, but he lives in Spain. 
Interesting story. Wow. I did and not know and that. And he's 30, and he's already working with all these top guys and having a substantial well, yeah. effect on their no, game. No, I mean, the fact that Dimitrov's, yeah. like, playing much better since the, the move is, like, maybe it really shows something. Like, he's, C- certain he's guys, special. Certain guys just need to work with certain styles, and I think Dimitrov just needed somebody that's, like, you know, how, that you know how to I, hit I all want, these shots. I honestly want Dimitrov yeah. to, like, make a lot of noise. Like, I'm, I'm cool with, I want to see a new player, like, a next star that kind of just, like, Shocks everybody. And in 2017, I know Federer only played, you know, two tournaments, but Songa and Hit and Dimitrov had the most wins of anybody to start the season. I know it's a lot of how much they played, but it's, they're playing good Can competition. Can you see Dimitrov winning Indian Wells? That's crazy. Semis, for yeah. sure. Semis, there. for sure. But yeah. winning, it's another yeah, thing. Yeah, because Murray, Murray's going to win it. Let's look at the other quarter, the quarter of death. Oh, you're already saying Murray's going to win yeah. it. Well, Djokovic in the second round, Djokovic is the two seed. A third round matchup between... Del Potro and Joker. Again, Del Potro gave him all he could handle. Joker just squeaked what, by. That's the third round. What day is that? Hmm, Monday? Monday? Monday, Tuesday. Oh, Might be a Mitch oh, and George oh, time oh, at Stadium oh, One. Wow. But you have Zverev and Kyrgios also potentially Monday as a third round matchup. <laughs> Great matches. I'm going to be at the bar by the big screen TV there. Nice. Federer, Stevie Johnson, third round. Monday or Tuesday. We got it's probably Tuesday now that I throw that's that out cool. there. But so that's that's something to look out for. And then Nadal Verdasco third round, the Spanish encounter. Wow. So that, this is loaded. But you look at, at this region, George, and I think I would say I probably trust Nadal the most out of these guys, even more than Joker. I just his head's not in it to me. And I would I would Joker's put I would Nadal. put more money on Nadal. I'm not gonna count out Roger Federer, but seriously. Maybe it is Federer. I just think Joker. I just don't know that he's he's quite there yet. Well, it's cool that all these players are there together. It's kind of every, like every tournament. There's been one player missing. Like now, Nadal's there, Murray's there. But the one Fed's guy out there. is Milos. But we can live without him. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I can live with it if you can. Yeah, but yeah, yeah you know. it's. But you know, everyone's yeah. there, stands there, and they're all like relatively healthy now. You know, so it's like, yeah, it's gonna be a great tournament. Like I'm. I'm I'm pretty. I haven't really been watching really because the first round's pretty boring. So, but I would say maybe starting tomorrow I'll start paying attention. Second round once these big players start playing. Fed Nadal round of sixteen. Crazy. Oof. Look at all the look at all the rematch potential we have throughout the throughout the draw. Djokovic Delpo. You could have Kyrgios Djokovic at that point. Another rematch there. It's going to be Fed Nadal potentially. Nadal Joker Fed Joker. Fed Delpo, Nadal Delpo, like either way. It yeah. just, Kyrgios could make a run too. And we didn't Seriously. even mention Zverev, another one who could make a deep run. There's a lot of good players right now. Like, we talked about Dimitrov for like a minute. So, like, there's a lot of fun, good players that can make noise. And, I'm, I'm not buying Kyrgios going a deep run. I think he no. could beat one or two of these guys, but just the build up. Like, every time he beats somebody good, he loses immediately after. Yeah. Zverev, I, I kind of feel the same way. Not that his head's not in it, but I don't know that his game's consistent enough yet to just run through the murderer's row. To just keep winning. Yeah. Of players. Yeah. Well, let's get to it now. George Panosian, Mitch Michaels, Money Mitch Effect. This is tough. I want to spend, spend a little bit more time predicting who's going to go semi and out. We'll start with the quarterfinal of death. Who gets out of We'll do quarter first, and then who gets to the semis. Uh, the let's quarter see. being the Nadal side down. Nadal, Fed, most likely Joker, Delpo. Who just comes out of that to get to the quarter of um, Fed Nadal, I should say? Yeah, I can see Federer coming out of it. So, like, Fed to 
get past Nadal. Yeah. yeah. Do you think Joker is waiting for him in the Joker, quarterfinals? Yeah, that's Fed Joker okay. in the quarterfinals. You think Joker beats him or do you think Fed beats him? No. I kind of like Fed there. A little bit. Right? If it's Fed Joker, <laughs> yeah. like at this point in their mental stability. Because you know the thing too, mentally, like we, we talk about the cliches a lot, but there's something to be said about Fed, just the happiest guy, like easygoing. He plays well at Indian Wells. He's just calm, cool, collected. And Joker, like, I don't want to say going through a crisis, but you don't know what's going on yeah. in his head. I say Fed. Fed takes, goes to the semifinal. I think I'm liking, I think I'm yeah. liking that there. Yeah. And I'm going to say the rest of the bracket looks like Murray, Stan, Dimitrov. I think the final's going to be... Who's in Stan's bracket? That was the team side? Yeah, maybe it's team. He's the only other threat in that side? On that side, it's... Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think GoFan's ready to beat Murray. No. I'm not buying team just yet to get through there and get to a semi, but he's made semis of big tournaments before. GoFan was a semifinalist here a year ago, though he capitalized on Murray losing early. Well, Stan has a pretty easy draw, though. Yeah, I'm going to say Stan Murray on that side. And on the bottom, we yeah. said Fed. Oh, give me Dimitrov. Oh. Uh, the Fed, baby Fed matchup in the semis. That would be fun. It would be. I'll take Dimitrov there, too. Honestly. Spoiled and my Dim- pick, dude. I was about to say that. And Dimitrov I like Murray in the finals. And Murray winning. We're not and agreeing Murray. on this bracket, are we? I think we might have to. Yeah, yeah I mean. <laughs> we might have to. You say Murray winning, too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I like Murray, too, man. No, I'll say Dimmy winning. I'll, I'll go underdog. That's, yeah, I like that. I'll go he underdog. Dimmy's going to win. so it. good in the semi. He should have been the doll, honestly. He should have. He was he right really there. He really should have. People were underselling him all the time. I'm like, he could win this match. He should have won that match. Like, yeah. he was, he was kind of the better player. He was. But but Nadal's experience just he knows how to win. That's a match where if you play that 10 times, Jimmy might win more than yeah. Nadal wins. And yeah. if you play that match in a year or two from now, yeah. I highly doubt that it's, that it's the same outcome. Oh, like, yeah. it's... He's catching him. It's almost a little bit like, mm-hmm. on a much smaller level, the Nadal-Fed dynamic. Mm-hmm. When you saw Nadal just pushing, mm-hmm. like, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then, yeah, yeah. Well, you hope Dimitrov keeps ascending yeah. in that direction. It's, one hope. it's good for the game, these young guys. Because oh, yeah. ideally, like, you want to see the veterans for still sure. there, but you like to see team and you go You always want to see young guys that are competing with the legends, always. Yeah. That's what makes the sport continuously exciting through different generations of tennis. Well, George, this was fun. I like predicting oh, yeah. Indian Wells. Yeah, we gotta, uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, everybody, me, everybody working at Indian Wells, all the Tennis Channel staff. Keep up the good work. Hope we don't embarrass you when we come strolling in. You know, you know, it's cool. Leave Shiris, I'm going to come no, find wait, you. We're, we're, <laughs> we're taking care of the studio. You know, We're out here in the studio. We're doing it for you. Yeah. Hey, you know, I, I hope to come find these guys. and uh, you Find know. it on tennischannel.com. Yeah. One day. <laughs> One day. But thanks again, George. All right. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you for listening to it. Chris Scruggs and George Pinozzi, thanks to those guys for coming on the show taking time out of their day to talk hoops, to talk tennis, a little football, and of course the Minnesota All-Hockey Hair Team. We had to mention that. A reminder that you can find all Money Mitch Effect episodes by a quick search in iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. There's a lot of sports takes in there, some real ones about other things too. I got into a little feud with my good friend Chris Miller, a lighthearted feud about the Browns versus Raiders and their team winning a Super Bowl in my lifetime. But a lot to discuss as well. Hockey, March Madness is right around the corner. Next week there's going to be a couple of shows. We're going to be 
overloading you with info on March Madness, on the hockey scene, on different topics. We got some sports professionals on the show coming up next week. I know you're going to like those. Make sure you listen to that. I am Mitch Michaels. Enjoy your weekend. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, please keep watching sports, people.